The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. And good morning. I hope you have had a great morning so far. If you're new with us, we're glad you're here. Um, typically, we don't set our stage with Shrek. Uh, if you are new here, this is just for you. Um, no, it's, it's good. We, we love it. Um, but we are glad that you are here this morning. I want to in- invite you, if you have your Bibles, uh, to grab them with me. Uh, maybe you have them on your phones. That's, that's cool, too. Just scroll with me uh, to 1 Timothy 6. We've been walking through 1 Timothy slowly. Um, and, and we made it through to the end of chapter five last week, and this week we get to start in chapter six. And um, listen, we are looking at a text this morning that deals with a little bit of a sensitive subject. Um, we're dealing with a text this morning that deals with slavery. We're gonna be looking at a text that talks about masters, bond servants, and um, as we step into a text like this, Uh, I think it is important for us that we realize something together, and that is that we call out the obvious, that as Americans, we have a history with these words. We have a history with slavery, we've experienced division, and we've seen the abuses, we've seen horrible things over this, and so, but here's the thing, Um, this text came long before American slavery did. And this text is also not about American slavery, which is, it's, it's not. Um, yet at the same time as Americans, when we read a text like this, our history and the way you view and the way you understand our history will undoubtedly color the way you read, understand, and apply a text like we are about to look at this morning. Um, and so before I read our text and before we get to work unpacking it, Um, I want to do my best to create some context. So here's the thing. Uh, The first century world had slavery. Now, it wasn't, it's quite different from American slavery in a lot of ways, but it was slavery. Um, Whereas in American slavery, it was was centered on race and color of skin. Um, The first century world was different. It often dealt with politics and economics more than anything. Um, But... Race did often contribute to it, because here's the thing, in the first century world, it was often a product of war. So the victors, the one who won, takes slaves from the losers, the ones who didn't win. That's the way it worked in the first century world, and we see this, there's a lot more to this, I get that, um, more than we'll have time to explore today, but for our time, I just want to set a couple of foundational things to set a tone for us as we unpack this. Um, And so as we get to this text, I just want this to set the tone. Few things here. Number one, although the text we're about to look at does not delve into this specifically, it is important that we, um, we bring out something that scripture is resoundingly clear on. Um, All people, regardless of skin or color or age or height or weight or gender or ability or anything 
All people are created in the image of God. All people, the Bible affirms the sanctity of all human life, and that means that any practice that seeks to strip that from someone or degrade that in another human is inherently wrong. And it goes against God's design for human flourishing in this life. Okay, we, we unfortunately, um, if we read history books, um, I'll even bring this out. I saw this this week and it, it made me angry. Um, if you look at sermons preached by pastors during the time of American slavery, um, they would often try to use this to defend it. And um, I don't know another word other than that's just gross. It's, it's horrible. And, and I even, this is the part that made me mad. I, I saw in 1807, they created this thing called the Slave Bible, which basically what the Slave Bible is, is you would take the word of God, you would open it, and you would find the pages that you don't like the message of. You would rip those out and give the, the Slave Bible to the slaves. And what they would seek to do is to take out every reference that would seek to give dignity to slaves. That is terrible. It is heartbreaking. And it points to a fact that I want to bring out. If you are the only way to use this to defend that, the only way to use this to defend the degradation of another human created in the image of God is for you to open this and to rip pages out, to modify it and to delete. They didn't have delete buttons back then, but you get what I mean. Um, That's the only way to do it. Why? Because this affirms the sanctity of all human life created in the image of God. And so scriptures like the one we're about to look at, although they do not speak directly to that, um, hear me, that's still our foundation and our text today does not go against that in any way, shape, or form. And I think we'll see that today. That's number one. Um, Number two, though, is I think we need to be honest with this, and this is maybe where the rub is is um, multiple times, in multiple texts, the New Testament writers acknowledge that slavery was happening. And yet, the New Testament doesn't seem to openly and explicitly rebuke this practice in the culture. Um, It doesn't, for example, call the church to overthrow Rome. Get rid of those practices, Rome. Like, it doesn't do that. Um, now, to be clear, it also doesn't affirm, but it does not um, blow it up. It doesn't affirm it. In fact, in so many ways, I'm going to put this scripture up here. Oh, I pointed this way. There's a Shrek thing here. Normally, we have a screen there. I'm going to point this way now. Um, I'm going to put this up here a couple times, but uh, Galatians 3, Paul will actually destroy the very basis of slavery altogether in Galatians 3. Um, he says, for in Christ... Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is, listen to this, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no male, female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In other words, in the eyes of God, in the kingdom of God, through Christ, there is now therefore no distinctions. Um, We are brought to God through Christ as one. Um, And so, although the New Testament doesn't affirm slavery as a cultural practice, it also doesn't rebuke it either. And and 
I gotta ask, like, why? Why is that? And, and I think that's the harder question to answer. And uh, there's a few things that I want us to understand. First, Paul's primary point in these letters in the New Testament was to defend and proclaim the gospel. To defend the church and to proclaim the gospel. Defend it from false teaching and to call the church to live their lives, to glorify God in whatever culture they found themselves in. That was Paul's point in writing. That was his focus. Um, Paul was not denying, though, that the church did, in fact, still live in a culture in which there were distinctions being made. Let me put our scripture back on the screen here. This scripture right here, notice when, when Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek or slave nor free, male or female. He was saying all of these things in a culture that, guess what, still had Greeks and Jews. He was saying all of those things in a culture where there were still boys and girls and uh, there were still slaves and freemen. All of these distinction, Paul, he's not, he's acknowledging that the distinctions were still in the world and in the kingdom of man, there's still distinctions that we will face. And even in that though, Paul is pointing to the truth that under every one of those, in God's kingdom, we are one and there is no second class citizen in the kingdom of God. So Paul's point in his writings in the New Testament is to get us to understand the truth of the of Christ and the gospel first and foremost, and to get the church to live in a way that brings him glory, that the church and the gospel would spread. That's Paul's focus, that we would not bring reproach on ourselves as the church for acting crazy and foolishness and sin, that he would protect the church from that. Um, in regard to slavery, what we see Paul doing is he's teaching the church, and follow with me here, because this is where we pick up in our text, He's teaching the church how it can faithfully operate as children of God, as followers of Jesus, how it can faithfully operate in a culture in which slavery was practiced. How should the church faithfully operate in a world where, don't miss this, don't miss this, let's pretend like we're first century here in uh, the, the first church of Ephesus, first Bible, Ephesus here. Okay, listen, um, in the church, there would have been those who were slaves and those who were masters in the same church. Like, that's what Paul is dealing with. How can we as the church who live in a world with those distinctions, how can we operate faithfully? That's what Paul was addressing here in our text. Um, not to try to bring some big social change to Roman culture. Um, I, I read this earlier this week. This comes from a guy I've never read before. Um, anyway, it was good. He said, Paul aimed to destroy slavery without waging war to do so. To Paul, it was more important to avoid reproach against the name of God and his doctrine than to make a revolutionary attempt to undermine the social structure um, of that time. And, and that's what we see going on here. And, and so in that, in Paul's writing, we're not really given this explicit proof text that rebukes Rome um, and the practice at large. We're not given that. doesn't mean he's affirming it. It uh, doesn't mean scripture as a whole is affirming it. Um, but what it does mean is that Paul has something else in mind with his writings. 
Um, and that's the gospel. And that leads me to the final clarification, and then we'll get to work. Final clarification, and, and we're going to start with this, and we're going to end with this. Okay? Final clarification is that the New Testament redeems the language of slavery. Here's what I mean. Um, when the, the, the church spread and Christianity was spreading, it modified the nature of this servant-master relationship on an earthly level. What it did is it gave earthly masters a sense of responsibility to their heavenly master. It just rewrote the script. It drew our eyes up. It, it redefined the terms. See, in Christ, we now understand that our God is the true ultimate master and we are all servants of God. Um, scripture takes this cultural practice, redeems the language, and actually applies it to our relationship with God so that we can better understand who we are in him. Um, in other words, it's no surprise that one of Paul's number one things he calls himself is what? A servant. We use the word servant because it's less icky. It's the same word for slave, bond servant, doulos. You call it what you want. Same word. Paul uses this over and over to define himself, a servant of Christ. Um, we see it in Romans 1, for example. Paul, a servant of, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Um, he, guess what, even calls you to be servants. Just a few verses earlier than in our text, in 1 Timothy 4, he says, if you, I put these things before you that you will be good servants of Christ Jesus. Your call is to be a servant. And we see how Paul is redefining the terms. And I want to put this up here. A servant ultimately is this. A servant is someone who has set aside all rights of his own to serve another. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to that. But remember that because that church is your call in Christ. To lay aside your rights to, as, as scripture says, to die to yourself. And to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus, that, that is your, your call. And scripture uses this language not to affirm the abuses of slavery in the culture, but to point back to the gospel, the kingdom of God, to help us glorify God in the way we live our lives. In our text today, um, we're going to see Paul address slavery. And um, the main argument by the way, of this text, as we get to it, the main argument, give it away up front, is Paul is getting us to see how it matters, how we treat people in our lives, especially those who are in authority over you. The way we treat them will either bring honor and glory to Jesus or it will bring reproach to him. And Paul is clear, the glory of God is at stake here in this. That's what Paul is getting at. So let me read our text. Uh, for us. We're only going to be in the first two verses of, uh, of 1 Timothy uh, this morning. 1 Timothy 6 it says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved teach and urge these things. All right, let's, let's, let's look through this. Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants. This is, this is all language. It's talking to all the servants in the church. Let all who are under a yoke. This yoke language, it's heavy. It's a burden. He's pointing to that. 
He's describing the hardship and the weight of slavery. He says, let all who are under that yoke, and then he gives them his charge, regard your own masters as worthy of all honor. All honor. Um, This is genuine respect. In fact, many of your translations will translate this as full respect. Give your master full respect. Show them full and genuine respect. Why? Well, Paul says, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. All right, what is going on here? Um, Paul is calling Christian slaves to have genuine respect for their earthly masters. Why? To prevent the misbehavior of those slaves, those who were slaves, to cover Christianity with disgrace and to disgrace the glory of God. The great concern for Paul in all of this was the glory of God and the truth of the gospel and and the name of God and the teachings of God is what it says. And so for Paul, horrible attitudes and terrible servants who, um, by professing Christians, who were slaves in the culture, would lead the slave owner, the master, to mock Jesus and to mock the teachings and, and to mock the way of Jesus and disgrace the gospel. Um, now, in Paul saying, your, your attitude and your behavior matter. And at this point, you might have some questions flooding your mind, uh, especially considering the evils that we've all seen with slavery, like, Pastor, is this saying that slaves should never stand up against abuse? Is this prohibiting Christians from any pushing against cultural change? Is this saying that slaves need to remain under the yoke without pushing? Hear me. No, 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 no. Um, That's not what Paul is saying here, and that's not what Paul has in mind here at all. Again, Paul is speaking directly to this early church, this congregation. We're living and ministering in this first century And Paul was giving this church wisdom for how to live, how to function well for the glory of God in their culture in Ephesus. Um, Large point here again is this. Let all who are slaves, let all who are under that yoke in the culture show respect, have respect for those in authority over them, treat them with respect so that the name of Christ, the teachings of Christ would not be reviled. Let us honor Christ in the way we treat those who are in authority over us. At the core, that's what is at stake stake in our text. It matters how you treat, how you respect or disrespect those who are in authority over you. Now, if we were to fast forward, I am not suggesting um, that your teacher at school or your boss at work, your parents at home, that your authority right now is a direct apples to apples comparison um, to the slave master relationship in the early church. I know there are massive differences between these two things, okay? Um, But what I am saying is that this text pushes beyond the slave master relationship specifically and speaks fundamentally to how we respect and represent Christ in our culture in a way that shows points others to Jesus, especially those who are in authority over us. Um, One of the ways that we can do that today, one of the ways that we can show Christ honor in our world today is absolutely in the way you respect or disrespect your boss. 
Um, the way you respect your teachers or respect your parents, the way we respect those who are God has placed an authority over us. Let all who are under the yoke of bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all authority so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Even though we're not under the same cultural structure of slavery, we're still able to honor and dishonor the name of Christ and his teachings by the way we treat those who are in authority over us. And I know there are a lot of complications from this. Um, I know some of you have some really bad bosses. Um, I get that. Guess what, though? I assume there were some pretty bad masters back then when this was written, too. Um, but our calling to honor Christ remains, so I want to cut right to it. Some of you are in some really negative environments at work uh, where everyone is negative against leadership, just talking, complaining, meh, 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 slandering all the time. Um, you may be in a place where that's the norm. This is just the norm where dishonor is the norm. Brother, sister, your calling, you have a different calling on your life than that. Your call is to honor, not to agree with everything um, that your boss says and does, but to honor him or her for the glory of God. I wanna point to another text this morning before we go to the second verse. Um, this is also from Paul, and it's in the letter of Ephesians. And um, remember that First Timothy, it was written by Paul to uh, Elder Pastor Timothy of the Church of Ephesus. Well, the, the letter of Ephesus, or Ephesians, was written to the congregation. So same writer, same church, um, and, and Paul is going to go even deeper in Ephesians. So I wanted to put this up here just so we can see Paul's heart in this. Ephesians 6. Five through nine says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. That's awesome. I mean, you hear it here. Um, we are not only called to show honor and to respect, but here, Paul is so clear, we're, we are called to show honor and respect as we would unto the Lord, as we would to Christ with a sincere heart. I mean, this is, this is huge. Um, and so going back to your, your office, maybe brother and sister, maybe it's your break room, your teacher's lounge, around your coffee table, wherever it is. But if when others begin to gather to show dishonor, using the language of our text, um, to show disrespect to those who are in authority by talking about how terrible and ridiculous they are, how foolish they are, um, you are called, as hard as this may be, you, you are called to show full honor and respect from a sincere heart as to Christ. That's your call. And in showing them that honor, you are worshiping Christ. You are bringing honor and glory to Christ. That's your call. 
So here's a question um, that I want you to just chew on slowly while we go to the second verse and we'll come back. How can you walk out that call today? How can you live that call out today? All right, as I said, continue to chew on that question. Let's look at our second verse. Uh, Paul says this, Again, those who have believing masters. So here, verse one is dealing with masters or with um, um, servants in general, um, masters in general. But those in, in, in verse one, it was those who believe and those who don't believe. It was just general. But here, Paul is now zooming in to those who have masters who do know Jesus, who do follow Jesus. And what does Paul says? He says, you must not disrespect them on the ground that they are brothers. Now, why on earth would Paul have to say that? Well, this goes back to Galatians 3. Put it up here earlier. I won't even put it up here again because I, I, I think you'll get what I'm saying here. When Paul says there's now, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no man, woman. There's just, there's just one in Jesus, right? That's what the church is preaching. And for good reason. There's no preferential treatment in the church, amen? Like we don't have a communion table. That's where the bosses go. Entry level workers over here. We don't have that. We don't have reserved seating here. No. James, book of James has a lot to say about that. We don't have that here. We don't do that here. We're one in Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here is, brothers, sisters, on the ground of Galatians 3, on the ground that you are all one, equal in dignity and image bearing, and on that ground, don't let that fact that your master is, is a believer, shoulder to shoulder with you, don't let that to be, be the excuse to no longer treat them with honor and respect as your master, as the one who is in authority over you. Don't let that be the excuse to show them dishonor. Um, let's get practical. Just because you go shoulder to shoulder to the table does not mean that you now stop treating them with respect as the one who God has placed in authority over you. We know and believe that we're one in Jesus, and yet, as Christians, we still believe and hold to the idea of authority, and we can't use this as an excuse for that. And so Paul says, those who have believing masters, we don't show disrespect on the grounds that they're brothers. You, being one in Christ, can't be the grounds for disrespect. Instead, what? It says, rather they must serve all the better. And why? Why is that? I love the argument that Paul gives here. I love this. In the case of those serving masters in general, Paul reminds them to honor um, them as unto the Lord, give glory to God, show them respect and honor. But in the case of those who serve believing masters, please look at this. Look at the reason Paul gives here. They must serve them all the better since those who benefit, those believing masters, by their good service, are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. So why? Why? What should drive us to show honor and respect to believers who are above us in authority over us? What should drive them to serve them well as brothers and sisters? Love. They're beloved. Do it so that you would bless them, that you would benefit them. It's like Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Do you love one another just as I have loved you? And the whole world's going to know your mind by your love for each other. In other words, our relationship with those in authority over us are simply opportunities to love each other well. And to demonstrate it. 
reminds us, um, Paul is reminding us here, it matters how you treat, again, those in authority over you. It will either bring honor and glory to Christ or it will bring reproach to the, names and, the name and teaching of Christ. Paul is reminding us, it matters how you treat those in authority over you, especially if they're a believer. Why? Because the way you treat them is the way you can show the love of Jesus to them, benefit them, bless them. Paul is reminding us that it matters how we treat those in authority over us because you are doing all things as unto the Lord. All things. And this is a way you can worship Jesus and bring honor to him in a real and tangible way. This is a way that we can model Jesus to the culture around us. Um, so going back to the question, how do you live this out today? How do you show honor to those under whom God has placed you? How do you show, how do you show them honor? Um, listen, I believe that today we really struggle with the idea of authority. Um, and I want to be very clear, often for very, very, very good reason. Um, many have experienced quite bad authority. And so we struggle with this. Um, but brother and sister, I want to say this with all gentleness, all gentleness. The answer to bad authority cannot be no authority. The answer to bad authority has to be Good authority, godly authority and respect. So as believers, it's not that we're, we're not anti-authority. As believers, even our relationship to authority is an opportunity to proclaim the goodness and glory of Christ. Even when we have very difficult bosses who do not deserve it. It's... it's might not be popular to say any of this in our day and age where we like to push against the idea of authority. Um, and especially where the idea of being a servant may sound quite icky to you. Um, but I want to remind you again that you are actually called through Christ to a life of servanthood. This is not an optional component to Christianity. This is your call. Um, and I want to go back to where we started this morning. And I want to remember when I said that the, the way the Bible um, redeems the language of slavery in the New Testament, church, we can't forget this. Ultimately, Christ came as a servant. Christ came as a servant. We cannot forget this. Philippians 2 says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, participation in the spirit, affection, sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. And then he says this, verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, that's servant language. In fact, um, with that fresh in our mind, I want to put that definition that I used up earlier. A servant is someone who has set aside all rights of his own to serve another. With that on the screen, let me read this again. Do nothing from selfish ambition. In humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests only, but the interests of others. That's servant language. And why? Well, well, Paul points us directly to Jesus from this, and he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. Christ came as a servant. So who are we to think that we are above servanthood? Like, makes no sense. Christ came as a servant, and we are to have that mind among ourselves, humbling ourselves like Christ, serving like Christ. And then verse 8, Paul points to the ultimate form of servant. Christ served by giving his very life for you. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ came as a servant. Christ served all the way to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a glimpse of the goodness of Jesus, the gospel right there. Amen. This morning, if you're bristling up at the idea of the New Testament and Paul to call you a servant, if you're bristling up, that idea to give full honor to those who are in authority over you. If you're struggling because they don't deserve it. If you're struggling because they're the worst. If you're struggling because they're foolish them and, and foolish and, and, and you are called to honor them. I mean, it, ugh, if that's you, hear me. I want to remind you this morning that Christ came taking the form of a servant in order to give himself for you and you did not deserve it. At all. You were foolish and sinful and crazy. I could give many more adjectives and I won't. But that was you. And yet Christ came, took on flesh, and served you to the cross. And I know it's hard to honor them sometimes. But Paul is not asking anything of you that Christ has not accomplished for you. Scripture is calling you to glorify God and to honor the teachings of Christ in a very specific way this morning. Scripture is calling you to honor Christ in the way that you show honor to them, to those in authority over you. So how do you live this out in your office, in your house, in your school, your ministry, your church, wherever it is? How can you live this as unto the Lord out? As Paul defines it in Ephesians 6, with a sincere heart not as a people pleaser, but as a servant of Jesus, doing the will of God because God's changed your heart, doing the will of God as unto the Lord, not to men. How can we live that out? That's the question for us today. And if you're here, if anyone is here, and you do not yet know Jesus, and, and you do not yet trust Christ and what Christ has done for you today, if you do not yet follow him, I want to invite you to come to God through Christ this morning. Um, God loves you and demonstrated. He didn't just love you in like an idea and in, 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 in a word. He demonstrated his love for you by sending Christ. Christ came for you who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, putting on the likeness of men, found in human form, humbling himself obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Christ did for you. 
Christ came, Christ loved you, and Christ served you all the way to the cross, giving his life for you. You can know God. You can be forgiven. You can walk in new life with him forever and in this life today. You can have new life with him. Apart from him, there is no salvation. No salvation. We are sinners and the wages of that sin is death. But Christ came and gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. Come to God through Christ this morning. The ultimate example of a servant. Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, Christ came and he accomplished all the work already. And your call is to come to him and simply trust in his work, to trust in him in Christ alone. That's what it means to confess and believe. You confess Christ, believe Christ, and you are saved. Come to God through Jesus this morning because Jesus came, Jesus loves you, and Jesus served you all the way to the cross. Come to him. And for those of you who are in Christ this morning, who have placed your trust in Christ, your call now is to walk with him And as Paul says, to have his mind. And that means serving those. Taking the heart and the mind of a servant to serve each other. And specifically this morning, to serve those who are in authority over you. Not to please them and to get ahead in your job. But for the glory of God and for the reputation of Christ.